All right, everyone, welcome back to the AFC North Ultimate Division Crossover. I'm Chris Carter, host of Lockdown Steelers. I'm here with Kevin, Jeff, and Jake. It's day two, which means we're going to team two, and that is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Fellas, it's great to have you guys back for another day. Now we get to talk about the team I have to talk about 24-7. And I figure I want to start our talks around getting just the division standings on how people feel about what was the most defining moment of the Steelers season, which wasn't a play. It wasn't it, 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 it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't something that happened that stopped them from making the playoffs. It was well, I guess it did stop them making the playoffs, but it was the, in one day when the Steelers knew they they lost Ben Roethlisberger for the entire season, and on the same day trading for Minka Fitzpatrick. After seeing it play out for a full season, the Steelers just missing the playoffs, but Minka Fitzpatrick being a first-time All-Pro guy, and Ben, you know how old is he? Is he coming back? What has been? You guys' reactions. We're going to start with Kevin from Locked On Ravens. But what has been your reaction to how you've read how the Steelers dealt with that situation? Well, I'll give you my immediate reaction first, Chris. And I personally wasn't a huge fan of the move at first, but looking throughout it or looking at it throughout the entire season and now talking to everybody here today, it was an obvious win. And the Steelers really had to make a decision. Ben Roethlisberger was done for the season. They had to say, do we trust Mason Rudolph at the time, Mason Rudolph, to go and lead this team to the playoffs? And what do we need in order to make that happen, the Steelers needed secondary help. Minka Fitzpatrick was available, a guy who the Ravens were actually looking at, and there were rumors that the Ravens could maybe give up a first-round pick and a second or two firsts for him. There were a lot of Ravens fans clamoring for Fitzpatrick, and there was no denying Fitzpatrick's talent. But he just came into Pittsburgh, a turnover machine, a ball magnet. He's under team control for a long time. It's pretty much saying, all right, we're going to give up a year or two of control here to get a player who isn't going to break the bank until a few seasons down the line, still gave Pittsburgh a chance to win and really turn the season around for Pittsburgh. Now, we could say if Mason Rudolph played a bit better, if Devlin Hodges came in, played a bit better. This team, we could be talking about potentially even probably not the AFC North champions because 14 and two was a hard record to beat, but we could potentially be talking about the fifth seed here in the AFC and looking ahead to next season. And we'll get into that in the next segment, but talking about what Fitzpatrick brings to this team saying publicly that he wants to move around the defense, such a team first guy and a guy who, when you look at the Steelers pass rush, something we talked about yesterday, if the pass rush, such as TJ Watt, Hargrave to and Hayward, all those guys, once they got to the quarterback, the quarterback had to make a decision, either take the sack or throw the ball into a secondary that now stouted and now had Minka Fitzpatrick along guys with Joe Hayden, Steven Nelson and the like. So when Roethlisberger went down, Steelers had to make a decision. And I think they ultimately did make the right one there. Yeah, it's funny because it's it's there's a there's a there's a divide when it happened. There was I'd say there was a 50 50 divide among Steeler Nation. You had certain writers saying this was great. I was on the pro side. I thought it was a great move because I was like, they're not going anywhere this year. And the idea that they might get their pro I thought they were always going to end up right in the middle of the draft, you know, 18, 19. They never had they never finish in the top 10. So I was like, they, this, this is like getting a top ten pick by getting Minka Fitzpatrick, and uh, you know, and I know he was part of why they finished eight and eight, but that was why I liked it. Uh, Jeff, your take from Locked On Browns on how that impacted their season, and you seeing the Steelers, the Browns beat the Steelers for the first time in several years, and uh, you know, but they also saw Minka Fitzpatrick and how the team sort of shifted throughout the season. 
Um, for me, the move um, at the time, I, I guess you, there's no way you can question the move. I mean, you brought in an absolute stud in the secondary. Um, but for me, it's more of, you know, you look at it now where it's at. Look, I mean, the whole point of bringing in Minka was let's beef up the defense and see if we can make this a playoff team. Obviously, they fell a little short. Um, and what we got to see this year is there is no life after Brent, Ben Roethlisberger on the roster. I believe everybody in the room, even you, Chris, agrees with that. There is no life after Ben on this roster. And for me, it just seems, you know, you look at Philip Rivers now is going to move on. Eli Manning has retired. And it seems like, and I'm not saying you, Chris, necessarily, but it seems like a lot of Ravens, a lot of uh, Steelers fans are just like, well, Ben will be back. At 38 years old, after an elbow killed his entire season, I guess week two, week three, whatever it was, He'll be back, and we'll be fine. It seems really weird to just say that about a 38-year-old quarterback. Look, you know, Ben looks like the, you know, the high school hero who's now been the 13-year offensive line coach at his alma mater, and, you know, he's already got two ex-wives. Um, you know, he's no more athletic anymore. We get all of that. But my question is, is you know, it seems weird, and no first-round pick, and we realize that Duck ain't it. We realize that Rudolph ain't it. And so they're going to go into this year and look, it could go really well, but if it doesn't, you know, then are they going to fall back a year or two? Because without a first round pick, they're not sniffing any of the top quarterbacks this year. So I think they have a lot invested in what they think Ben can be this year. And it just seems really weird that we're like, you know, I mean, you look at baseball, you look at anything where there's arm injuries and all of a sudden, you know, what if Ben ain't got the fastball anymore? What, you know, what if he ain't got, you know, the precision? What if he ain't be able to drop balls in space? And either way, the make a move is fine because you got a stud. And for him to say, I want to move around more, which is funny because that was the same thing he said to get out of Miami. Out in Miami, yeah. I, yes. Well, why? No, I want to be this. Well, no, you're, you know, this is what it is. This is the year and the era you play in. You are a great defensive back, so we're going to put more on your plate because this is what we want from you. So it, it's it's weird that he's saying this now because it was the same things he used to get out of Miami. But either way, you got yourself a bowler. Um, you know, obviously, Minka grew up 15 minutes from here in Jersey. He's a fantastic player. I don't have an issue with the player, the move. But my question is, is you know, this is all based on you know Ben coming back and being normal Ben. And if Ben was 28, I'd say all right. Saddle up, let's roll. But at 38, it seems a lot. It seems really, really disingenuous to just assume he's going to come back and be who he was. So, Jeff, that's a very good question. And and I think that that's where a lot of Steelers fans are at. A lot of people think he's going to get back to being, you know, 2014 through 2019 or 2018 Ben, where he's slinging the ball all the time. But I honestly think the Steelers don't plan on and are relying on him to do that. I think that they'll rely on him to be a play caller, to know the offense but to also know when to switch out of having to throw the ball too much um, and go to a running game. Now they have to develop a stronger running game for next year, and that's what I think their top pick will either be a really strong offensive lineman that falls to them or one of the top running backs that fall to them because I don't see a lot of teams picking among this running back crop too early in this draft. So I think it's going to be more so about they're gonna. They're, they're not gonna expect Ben to lead a top 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 ten offense anymore. They're gonna say, "Hey, get if you can be what you were in your first, you know, four or five years with the team, which is the last time that they won the Super Bowl with him. 
uh, and not necessarily in how you play, but in how, how often you throw and how much production we get out of you, that I think that would be more conducive to the way that they're building their roster. Uh, but there's a lot of time before the draft and free agency and who knows what's going to happen with the Steelers moving forward. But wanted to get to Jake on the same topic. I know we've we've talked about this a few times on air and off air. Where, where do you stand out the season's done and over with? So I'm gonna I'm gonna come at this right. I'm gonna punch holes come in this me, because the Steelers are not my boys, and I've been traumatized since 2005 thanks to Kimo von Olhoffen. So here's where we're gonna start. We're gonna start with looking at Mika Fitzpatrick in a vacuum. Started out with the Steelers a little shaky, right? Doesn't really get it going. Has three amazing games. Has some interceptions in the first six games or so with the Steelers. And then his last few games with the Steelers, still good, but not great, I would argue. He didn't have an interception after, what, week 10? So he, he goes, that's okay. He's not getting his hands on the ball. He's a free safety, right? So I'm just looking at his play, right? And you're right. He's not targeted a lot, but he's not getting his hands on the ball either. So I don't know how you avoid a free safety. I haven't watched the tape on all these games, but I'm just looking at his ball production. And so that falls off a little bit. But beyond Minka Fitzpatrick, and he could be a very good player for the Steelers. That's neither here nor there. The Steelers gave up what amounts to the first team out of the playoffs in the AFC draft position to get him in a year where they don't have a quarterback. Then they go on, as you point out, after a really bad start to finish 8-8. Eight and eight. But the strength of victory for the Steelers is 324. The Steelers go 8-8, eight and eight, but they beat the following teams. The Cincinnati Bengals twice which, given the Bengals are bad this year, the Los Angeles Chargers, who were bad this year, the Miami Dolphins, who were bad this year, the Los Angeles Rams is probably their best win. They missed the playoffs. Indianapolis Colts, Jacoby Brissett, never going to be impressed with that kind of win. They beat the Cleveland Browns. They beat the Cardinals with their rookie quarterback, and that's it. Those are the teams that Pittsburgh beat this year. So you have a close loss to Seattle. You have a close loss to San Francisco early in the year. Before they figure themselves out, right? You have a, a blowout loss in week one to New England. And then down at the end of the year, you have a loss to Buffalo, who, good team, right? Playoff team. You lose to New York, who's terrible. And then you lose to Baltimore. Did Baltimore play as starters in week 17? I wasn't watching. No, so, they did not. So the, the end of the year doesn't go great. So I'm just sitting here wondering, are the Steelers just fool's gold, right? Is this 8-8 eight and eight record a lot better looking than perhaps the quality of the team? So, I mean, I do think that there's merit to that. Um, you know, it's always funny. People, when you when you, when you want to say, oh, I, I like this team, but oftentimes when you look at teams' record, you could do that for a lot of teams that win, unless you have a team like where, like the Steelers in 2008, they had the hardest strength of schedule when they when they won the Super Bowl then. there's But a lot of times you could poke holes and say, like, like the Browns last year, everyone's like, okay, well, wait a minute, slow down. A lot of their wins were against teams – that had losing records and didn't make the playoffs. And then, you know, you saw how it played out this year. Um, my biggest thing with the um, – my, my biggest thing with, with the Steelers and two-year results, I do think people do need to keep their uh, keep their pants on when it comes to uh, expectations. Um, but I also think that when you look at a lot of those games, people underestimate how bad Devlin Hodges was and how limiting he was to their offense. And the fact that – you know, don't forget, you know, yeah, they had the close loss to Seattle in Mason Rudolph's first ever appearance in the NFL, but then his first ever start was against the Niners, the NFC champions, and they were like one, they were a James Conner fumble away from winning 
with Mason Rudolph's first start ever against those those San Francisco 49ers. I think that the Steelers, they do need to make several steps, but I'm also, I'm not on the train that I don't think that they're completely out of it when it comes to next year. They're just going to be some bums and, and get washed away. I think that if, they'll be hovering around the, eight and eight to 11 and five point this time, you know, when, when, when they're going the next year, if they get, if they get the, if they get a healthy bend back and they get a running game, I think that changes a few things, but they don't. I I think that that, if they're, if they're relying on Mason Rudolph next year, yeah, they're toast, but that's, that's my take. We're going to be back getting a few more of these takes right after these commercials. Welcome back to the AFC North Ultimate Division crossover. This episode focusing on the Steelers and how the opponents across the division are taking on how that season just progressed. Now, going back to Kevin, who locked on Ravens. The ultimate matchup that we know is going to get played up by the NFL when they announce the schedule, I guarantee you that at least one of the Ravens game, and they always are, but at least one of those games will be a primetime event or a four o'clocker that CBS just like blows up with Jim Nance and Tony Romo or whoever partners with Jim Nance this year. And I guarantee you all week, you're going to see the promo of Lamar Jackson versus TJ Watt and Nick Fitzpatrick. And that's going to be the hype of the game. Now, granted the Ravens swept the Steelers this year, but they were, they, they were an overtime, uh, an overtime fumble away from maybe tying or, or losing to Devlin Hodges with Lamar Jackson having three turnovers in that game. Kevin, what are your what is your outlook on? And we talked about Lamar Jackson and the hype that I think is real around him. What is your take on what the Ravens have to do to keep building around him to get ready to to play the Steelers' defense and how it progressed last year? Well, I mean, when you talk about that Steelers defense, and we talked about this a bit yesterday, Chris, it's that pass rush, TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, and those guys give a lot of teams problems and. We'll throw out the Week 17 game because the Ravens didn't play their starters. The Pittsburgh Steelers were decimated with injuries. So looking back to Week 4, you're right. An overtime fumble away from the Pittsburgh Steelers, pretty much stealing that one from the Ravens. And it's easy to think about, well, what if that did happen? If if Juju Smith didn't fumble that football, Devlin Hodges came in after Mason Rudolph was literally knocked out of the game in more ways than one. And literally almost propelled the Steelers to victory, finished 7 of 9 for 68 yards. Not the gaudy stat line that everybody would expect when talking about that, but I think that Hodges played really well in that game. When you look to play the Pittsburgh Steelers, especially from a standpoint of Lamar Jackson, they forced him into some bad throws. Lamar Jackson did not throw a lot of interceptions last season, but the one that I think was his worst came against Pittsburgh when it was towards the end of the half. He threw, and Steven Nelson, I believe, picked it off. It's just a terrible throw by Lamar Jackson, and I don't say that often, especially not from this past season, but part of that and most of that had to do with the Pittsburgh Steelers' pass rush. Ronnie Stanley was one of the best pass protectors throughout the entire NFL, or in the best pass blocking grade from pro football focus. He and the rest of that Ravens offensive line, they were still trying to bond, still trying to gel. And the Ravens were on a bit of a down streak, losing to both the Kansas City Chiefs and Jeff's Cleveland Browns. So it's safe to say, well, what if Juju Smith-Schuster didn't fumble that ball? Would the Ravens have finished 
14-2? and two? Would they have had that momentum? Next season, looking ahead for the Ravens, they have the cap space in the draft capital. Assuming they don't do any more extensions, the Ravens signed Chuck Clark to an extension yesterday. But looking at the Ravens looking to play the Steelers, they have to get that pass rush in check. Because Lamar Jackson, we all know he can scramble. We all know he can make something out of nothing, make magic appear out of thin air. And the Ravens need to get weapons in order to help him do that. And when you look at the Steelers, they are playing with a bit of fire here with James Conner, I think, looking ahead to the offseason. Are they tired of James Conner getting injured? Are they going to look to the draft to draft or running back in the first two rounds? If they get a healthy Ben Roethlisberger and if they get a sound rushing attack, the Ravens struggled with their run defense. But I'm still confident that if that happens for the Ravens, they will address their weakness in the defense, which is their run game. But overall, Chris, I'm just looking for two very solid, very entertaining and very high powered football games between these two teams. Absolutely. I, I look I look at this at this as a potential, you know, blockbuster when it comes to ratings, because everyone, whether you like or you don't like Lamar Jackson, he is a talking point for the NFL and he will be for the next few years, at least depending on how he plays. I mean, I, I remember after the 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 Pro Bowl skills competition, when there was like that Clay Travis guy who came out and said, oh, look at Lamar Jackson. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Stop, cool. uh, but uh, you know, either way, Lamar Jackson's a talking point. Steelers Ravens has always been a draw. And I, I just, I look, I've, I, I'm, I'm with you. I very much look forward to those games because that's going to generate so much talk and it's going to add to what's been a great rivalry. And I, I'd say the best rivalry in the, of the division uh, over the past two decades since the Ravens have, have, uh, have, have been formed. Uh, but moving forward to the team that, the, that stole their team from the, the, from Cleveland, we're going to move to, to <laughs> Browns. Um, Jeff, I wanted to ask you, because I'm sure Cleveland, maybe they haven't moved on all the way, but I'm sure they're ready to put everything behind them about Miles Garrett and how this season, it looked promising. Like the, the night, like like we were talking about off air, with eight minutes to go in that game, you're everyone in Cleveland is like, man, we're beating the Steelers handily in our own stadium. The season's looking up. And everything's going right, and then everything goes haywire. What has been your read both on the team and the fans of Cleveland and how they look at the Steelers and how that they you know, and just the rivalry that's always been with, with them, even when even when the Steelers are dominating, there's still always just that that hatred between the teams that things do pop off between them. What did you get your feel on what where both the organization and the fans are on that right now? Oh, I'm sure Jake would agree with me. It's nice that you and Kevin are having the little love fest here, like you guys are the two best you know, <laughs> rivals within the division. Um, and I think we all agree everybody hates Pittsburgh. Um, I think that's probably the two games you circle. Right, Jake, Kevin, you're probably with me here. Um, it's win the Pittsburgh games. Um, and it's not eight minutes. It was eight seconds. That Thursday night primetime game. It was, you know, and go with the old Charles Dickens line. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I'm sitting here getting ready to do a post-game show. Yeah, took down Pittsburgh. All right, absolutely beautiful. Everything about it, oh, my God, what just happened? And the thing about the entire situation with Miles Garrett was it was for the NFL. The NFL knows the guy, the man that Miles Garrett is. It was like he's not Vontez perfect. And, Jake, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I mean, you know that. But it was just like, oh, my God, we just got a really, really bad situation on field, on primetime from a guy 
that is nothing like this. Miles Garrett's in an Apple store, and there's some kid trying to buy a new iPhone, and he's short on money. And Miles Garrett's like, yeah, I'll pick up the tab. And, like, this is just the dude he is. Like, the NFL, like, they, they love to punish people. But every now and then they get in a situation where somebody's got to be punished who does not fit the criteria. And it's like, well, we really got to punish him hard. I'm not stunned whatsoever that he was told, this is it, your year's over. We said it on that postgame show that night. But- For me, honestly, the worst one was Demarius Randall getting suspended for the follow game. In Pittsburgh, how did Pittsburgh win? Duck Hodges hit a couple of long balls. Like, look, you lose your star for whatever reason, whether it's injury, whether it was the – and I will say it was a freak incident because Miles Garrett is like – he's like the biggest, strongest, fastest, badass nerd that ever walked the planet. But somebody pushed him to his point, and he lost it. You look at players like Demarius Randall who got suspended for that game. Due to the fact you know, the game at Pittsburgh, where and so Duck Hodges hits a couple of long balls, and all of a sudden the season was over, and it was you know like other people, well this and, and fans, well Miles Garrett, Miles Garrett, well no, this game was close, this game was within range. How about talk about the guy who got suspended because he was too lazy to show for freaking practice, or he literally said the words on a thirty-one degree day, it's a little too cold to practice outside. Seriously, um, you were playing the game in Pittsburgh, it was going to be outside. It, it just gets so weird to cover, like like we all do it, and you cover these teams as deep as we do, and some of the idiotic minutia that comes up. And when we're talking about this said safety, who you know a year ago was like, wow, you know maybe he's looking at a four year, forty million dollar deal, twenty five guaranteed. You heard anybody even mention this guy's name to this point? Everybody, right. oh, these are free agent targets. These are free agent targets. Demarius Randall. I mean, his name has gone literally like stone cold. But, but the, the other, just to just to build off where you're going with this, Jeff. The other thing about this is even after, even after like like Baker Mayfield went on Thursday Night Footballs like the the the, the, the post game show and said this is unacceptable, and the Browns you know tried to put this to bed. Then Kitchens, you know, there, there was the Pittsburgh started its shirts, and then Kitchens was seen wearing the Pittsburgh started its shirt, and. Then I mean I'm telling you I was at Heinz Field and I just watching these Steelers come in with the with their own shirts and I'm like oh boy this is gonna be a thing and, and then it became a thing and then just what I, I wanted to get the sense of where where everyone is at like post because now not only you have that game you have the game where the Steelers beat the Ravens or not beat the beat the Ravens sorry beat the Browns I sometimes I sometimes conflate stuff um, <laughs> but. Uh, but I, I look at I look at the, I look at that and I'm just like man like how how does Cleveland feel after all of this craziness happened in what looked like their year to finally come out from being in the in the basement I mean they they weren't fourth place that was the Bengals that we'll get to you in a sec Jake but they but they weren't the team that was they they weren't the the, the ultimate doormat of the division they they were competitive this year. I think if you look at the way this went down, and look, this comes from the GM, and the GM is responsible. I mean, you had all those assets from the previous regime as far as, you know, draft assets. And, you know, a lot of people want to poo-poo it. Oh, well, this turned out this way, and, you know, he did this and that. He didn't deliver. I mean, I, 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 we literally put together better drafts in 2018 and 2019 than this GM did. And his problem was, is look, you know, he wanted Freddie to be head coach of this team. And then when it got to about mid-October, we're not sure he can handle it. 
he doubled down. I want this guy. Freddie's going to be all right. We're going to get this done. And then when it came to the end of the season, when nothing got done, John Dorsey told the owners of the team, keep Freddie. We'll get this right. So literally he tripled down. So that's how they're both gone. Um, basically what it was is, you know, you had, and look, you even with the misses he made, you still had Miles Garrett, Olivier Vernon, Joe Schobert, Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams. You had seven safeties. You had a pretty good, an offensive line that showed well at the end of 18. You had Odell Beckham. You had Jarvis Landry. You had Nick Chubb. You had Baker Mayfield. You know, sometimes you got to put your big boy, big boy pants on. They didn't get it done. Whatever happens with this current regime, the thing is, it's going to be aligned and it's going to be unified. Whether it works or not, it's the first time Cleveland has done this. And I don't care if it's playing blindfold, throwing darts at yes or no on every decision you make. At least that's a plan. This is the first time this has happened where there is unified choices and decisions to be made under a Haslam regime here in Cleveland. I don't care what their method is of getting it done. At least everybody's on the same page. I hear that. With that, we'll move on to the Bengals. Uh, Jake, of course, everyone's talking about how Joe Burrow is just the automatic first-round pick. The, the, the Bengals aren't even on the clock. We know that's what they're doing. What is your prospect of of how he can do in his rookie year, considering the Bengals, I forget the name of the tackle that they lost, but he, you know, he was he was their first-round pick last year, and he didn't even get to play that much uh, at all. Um, and what is your take on what they need to do to build around Joe Burrow to get ready to play teams in the AFC North, but especially the Steelers? Yeah, I think that there's a lot that they can do to improve the team. You look at their draft needs this year. It's quarterback in the first round, and then after that you can say, well, they probably shouldn't take a running back. Joe Mixon's pretty good. They probably shouldn't take maybe an edge player because they feel good about Carl Lawson and Sam Hubbard. But then you look at the rest of the roster like, yeah, you can make an argument for any other position on this team that, that they could make improvements here. And this is coming off a year where the defense wasn't on the same page for the first half of the year. They did get a lot better in their defense in the second half of the year. But how much of that is Wolves Gold too? The same way that I questioned it with the Steelers and their strength of victory, the Bengals were playing a much softer schedule in the second half. So that's something that they will have to figure out. But as far as building around Joe Burrow, they do get back, as you mentioned, Jonah Williams, the first round tackle from Alabama, who consensus, I believe, top tackle in the draft in 2019. Unless you have concerns about his 33 and a half inch arms, he should be fine as an NFL tackle. But they still do need to make some improvements on the offensive line, especially when it comes to that matchup against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm going to echo a little bit of what Kevin said here in that the pass rush is the most concerning part for me in that matchup. And I said that I wasn't ever going to say anything nice about the Steelers, but I will say that Stephon Tuitt, that defensive line is a solid unit. TJ Watt, I have to admit that I was wrong about TJ Watt. He got better. He had a first couple of years where there was a lot of sack production, but then he, he backed that up and rounded out his game and was consistently getting pressure on the quarterback and is starting to look a lot like his brother in terms of the amount of disruption that he can offer for defense. So for the Bengals, they need to solidify that offensive line. I am very concerned that they feel better about that offensive line than they should because of some strides they took down the stretch. Again, when they were playing teams without much of a pass rush, but if it's Bobby Hart again at right tackle and a bunch of guys who can't figure out who wants to actually take that left guard job, then I'm worried about Joe Burrow getting it done. But then you turn on the tape of Joe Burrow, right? 
you look at Ted Nguyen's timeline today. For He's a writer for The Athletic. He says, I could put together a 10-minute highlight reel of Joe Burrow just escaping the pocket. And that's it. 10 minutes of it. And I'm like, yeah, do it, please. And I, I want to see it. Get me pumped up, right? But that's going to be a hard environment for, for Burrow to thrive in. And they're going to have to build the offensive line properly. They're going to have to bring back A.J. Green. They're going to have to adopt some principles of that LSU offense, namely getting more run-pass option in the offense, getting more deep shots worked into the offense, which means they need a deep threat. That's the thing, right? They need to find the guy that's going to be healthy and stretch the field, and hopefully that's John Ross. Hopefully that's A.J. Green, but just a lot of questions, right? More questions than answers, and we'll have to see how they spend their money and spend their draft capital, and I assume we'll talk about that tomorrow when Joe and I get to run the show. (laughs) <laughs> All right. So my last question for you guys, it's so this is sort of a question where it's like playing chess against yourself. You want to make sure you want to challenge yourself on both sides of the board. But I wanted to ask you guys going down the row, um, starting with Kevin from uh, from Locked On Ravens. What is the if you were to be the Steelers GM and you weren't trying to sabotage them because you're you're you're, you're covering another team. But if you were the Steelers GM. What would be your outlook on this offseason? What they should prioritize? You know, a big talking point here is should they keep Bud Dupree? And what should they prioritize in the NFL draft and maybe moving in free agency? They don't have a lot of cap space right now. I mean, they practically have none. But, um, you know, the team is – it's kind of obvious they're going to get rid of a few big big, big name guys or big number guys like uh, Anthony Ciccolo, Mark Barron, Ramon Foster, just for starters. That would get them in the range to be able to make some moves this offseason. Kevin. If you're the Steelers GM and you're actually playing for the Steelers, just your insight on how the Steelers play from an opponent's perspective, where would you go if you're the team? I think for the Steelers, it's just about being smart with their money. Is this the year where they should spend it or is this the year where they should kind of let some of it roll over to next year? I think they're going to be smart with their money. You talk about last offseason, Dante Moncrief and Mark Barron, not the best free agent signings in the world. I think they need to prioritize a running back in terms of making sure that they have a viable backup option for James Conner if he goes down, someone who could maybe even take over the reins. But overall, just be smart with the money and understand that this might not be the huge offseason to spend big. Maybe you get Ben Roethlisberger's cap hit off the books next offseason and you have more money to spend there. All right, Jeff from Lockdown Browns. Um, well, I hope they don't steal my draft board like they did last year where they drafted Benny Snell, where they drafted Justin Lane, and many others. Um, uh, and I, I kind of agree with Kevin. I kind of agree with Jake a little bit. Um, you know, was that 8-8 eight and eight legit? And you bring Ben back now. Obviously, you know, you have the, you know, obviously whether or not you're going to extend Juju um, and Bud Dupree. I mean, are you going to go really heavy on defense and say, you know, we'll play small ball? which makes some sense. And, but the other thing is you have no life after Ben, you know, is he going to play two more years at his age? Who knows? Uh, is he going to be healthy enough to play this year? There's some questions for Pittsburgh, but uh, so for me, I would probably just beef up the defense and say, look, we'll be good on one side of the ball and we'll see how our chips are going to fall. All right, Jake from locked on Bengals. I think that they should go after an outside receiver and I don't think they have the money to do it, but I feel like they were really hamstrung, given quarterback play, but I feel like they are missing that dynamic playmaker that left with Antonio Brown and all of his antics. Not that Antonio Brown is is the solution anymore, right? Like, he's 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 gone. 
But Juju Smith-Schuster showed, and he has a chance to take a leap, right? But I think that he showed that he benefited a lot from the presence of Antonio Brown, given he's young, he could take a step. But I'm looking at an outside option. Maybe it's Emmanuel Sanders, right? There's a free agent for you. I don't think they're in position to go after a guy like Amari Cooper. He burned his bridges in Pittsburgh. Right, so you have to find a guy like that, right? And and looking at the list of free agents... I don't know. Maybe he's not out there. Maybe they need to make a trade. Maybe they need to chase Stephon Diggs or something like that because they're not going to go after AJ Green, right? Like that's never going to happen. And then the next guy is Robbie Anderson, yeah. I guess. Brashad Perryman, he came on this year. And, and so maybe that's not where they go. Maybe it's just more of the same. Build that defense. Try to win with the defense. Find a replacement for Mark Barron. Make sure that you feel good about your corners. Make sure you're healthy and replace Bud Dupree's production. Get uh, who was the guy that got hurt on the defensive line? Was it Tuit? Tuit got yeah, he was out for he missed like basically three quarters of the season. So you got to make sure he's healthy for the year, right? Because when he goes down, that's a big player. And then Javon Hargrave. So they have some. I think their big decisions are their own guys, and namely as we talked about Bud Dupree and and Javon Hargrave because those are both very good. I don't want to necessarily say players because I'm not sold on Bud Dupree yet, but at least they got a lot of production. And Stephon Tuitt is a very good player, has a great track record there. And then outside of that, I would look for an outside receiver somewhere, and I just don't know where you find it. Maybe in the draft because the draft is deep there. Yeah, this is the year to draft a wide receiver, even in the middle rounds. But, um, but yeah, great points by everybody. Thanks for doing the crossover. This has been another episode of the AFC North Ultimate Division crossover. Tomorrow we'll be back. We'll be doing the Bengals-focused episode of the AFC North Ultimate Division crossover. We'll all be back as a group. Be sure to tune in.